Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I am joined by David J.P. Fisher, also known as DFish. David is a speaker, coach, and author of nine books, including Networking in the 21st Century and Hyperconnected Selling. David helps salespeople, business owners, and entrepreneurs understand the sales Sherpa path, where social media, networking, and traditional sales skills are the key to providing value and staying relevant. Thank you so much for joining us today, David. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? I am super passionate uh, about not screwing up parenting for my son. That's for sure. Yeah. But, but in, you know, what I'm really passionate about is, is people accessing uh, human relationships in business, you know, whether that's empathy, whether that's just connecting on that human level. I, I think sometimes we get away from that. And uh, the more we... I, the last year and a half of a pandemic has really taught us how interconnected we really are. And so uh, that's something I'm, I'm, I am passionate about bringing back uh, into, the, the, into, into uh, the center of our conversation about our professional lives. So I want to comment on that really quick, because I've, I've done a lot of focus groups for clients over the years, and we use this Toyota five wise method where you ask them why they would do something and, and whatever their answer is, you ask them why that, and you go five times. And it's amazing how often the, it's not a hundred percent of the time, but I would, I bet you the majority of time, the, the bottom of the five whys for most companies, regardless of what product or service they, service they sell, gets back to how much they love their family. And they want to protect or take care of, or, you know, it, it's, it's this right. passion they have for their families, the core of so many of the decisions that our target clients are making. So that's interesting that you talk about your, your son there. And um, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about your journey um, to become this, this expert coach of salespeople and entrepreneurs and, and this expert in the space of, of networking? Yeah, so I uh, got my start in sales uh, early on while still at Northwestern University. I paid my way through school selling uh, cutlery, selling kitchen knives, uh, nice. a company called Cutco, which many of your listeners are probably familiar with. I was one of those college kids, uh, but it was an amazing uh, experience. It was an amazing product, amazing training opportunity. Actually, I, I then went on to run the uh, Chicago office uh, for them for five years, had a chance to uh, interview over 10,000 individuals trained over 1500 sales reps. Uh, uh, just, it was kind of a, a MBA, a real world MBA uh, in my early twenties and uh, really grateful for that. And, and that kind of what, was where I got the bug of just professional development and, and really uh, always striving to improve my skill sets and my, my capacities. Uh, Cause that was such a focus at that organization. And, you know, I, a, after that, it was, it was uh, you know, my late twenties uh, wanted to do something different and I kind of looked around and I couldn't find an opportunity that, uh, that really spoke to me. So I was like, well, screw it. I'm just going to go out on my own and uh, started uh, my That's consulting smart. firm, yeah, Rockstar Consulting. Uh, so we've, we've been around for 15 years now. And it's, it's really been a, a wonderful adventure and kind of has been an adventure because started out doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching and started bringing, uh, bringing in some sales training, some of that uh, work to more groups. And at one point I was like, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to start writing books. And it's been a, a good platform for me to kind of pursue some of my own interests. But uh, one of the, the big 
uh, elements of the business has been uh, networking and building, you know, relationships because that's actually how, the only way I've built my business. Uh, I've built my business almost strictly through uh, my network and used to run uh, a lot of networking events for local chambers of commerce. It's actually how I got into LinkedIn, uh, which is something that I still do a lot of work with today because I, I was an early adopter. I was like, hey, this is a way that we can network online, uh, which may sound obvious now, but back in 2007, it was far from obvious. Yeah. And, and that's kind of been the journey. It's like, you know, looking at ways to use these tools for myself and then going, okay, now that I figure this out, let me help other people to, uh, to leverage these tools, whether it is the digital and tools like LinkedIn or just the human to human, the soft skills, right? How to interact and engage and, and build the, the relationships uh, and then be able to leverage those for business. So in this journey, what was the greatest home run that you've hit? The great, well, I mean, I always say this, the, the best sales I've ever made was when I convinced my wife to marry me. That's, you know, that's, <laughs> if I could do that, that, you know, I could tell anything. But coming back uh, to that core passion of family. Again. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, it's hard to like point to any specific like home run win. And there's a reason why is one of my philosophies uh, has always been about incremental growth and incremental change. And I think that we often, look for these wonderful stories of like the, the, the big sale or the, the life-changing events where I know for myself and a lot of the people I work with, uh, even just, you know, friends, you realize that real growth happens over time where you just kind of pay attention to something and you're like, holy cow, I'm in such a different place than I was a year ago. And so for me, it's always been, how do, how do I every day just do a little something to, you know, yeah. that, that 1% change that, that, um, I know being an atomic habits, I, I just, the idea of incremental growth is, is, is so it has been key for me. And it's something I talk about a lot with others. I as love well. it. Steady, consistent incremental growth. Okay. What is the greatest mistake or failure that you've had in your career and what'd you learn from it? Well, just like you have incremental growth, you also have constant and regular failures. <laughs> um, Definitely. What, you know, I don't, and it's, it's not a cop-out to say I don't have failures because I have had many, but there's very few that I look at and go, oh, that was such a monumental mistake. And in fact, I think that was a really valuable lesson that I learned and kind of what allowed me to go out on my own when I first started uh, 15 years ago, because I knew there was not one thing that was going to sink me, right? Uh if I, I look at, you know, I've written nine books, not all of them have done great. <laughs> some of them have done really well. Some of them, not so much. You know, I've had coaching programs. I've been successful. I've run for people. I've ones that nobody was interested in. I, and I, and so I do think that for entrepreneurs, for professionals in general, the more that we can learn that you're, you're, you're going to have, you know, times where you do definitely make mistakes, failures, screw ups, but if nothing's going to sink you permanently. And, and then you kind of start to take those chances. And, and that's where the fun stuff, I think, really does start to happen. So, I, yeah, I, I, I can't think. I, I, I could point to a list of sales I lost and programs that didn't work and, you know, training programs I put on that nobody showed up to. But yeah. I, don't, I don't really remember them. I just go, okay, next. Yeah, and we learn from them and we use it to do a little bit yeah. better incrementally. Yep. Our next time around. Exactly. 
Yeah, we only fail when we quit getting up and trying. You talked about your books and your podcast. Can you share with us a little bit about how those have helped your career, how you've leveraged those to build your business and the difference those have made for you? Yeah, so the the books uh, have definitely been a a credibility source. I mean, it is actually kind of interesting. Even before the first book ever came out, I remember being in a meeting with a potential client and just the fact that I was writing a book, all of a sudden, like I could see after I said that, that this book was coming out, they're like, oh, you must be an expert. Uh, so there is some, some credibility to it. And unfortunately, it's become so easy to write books that you know these days, not everybody uh, who has a book necessarily is an expert. Uh, there's a lot of bad books out there. Yeah. But interestingly enough, I think the books especially where they've helped is not only in the, the public facing uh, part of my business. I, I do use them a lot, obviously, for, you know, I do a lot of speaking, a lot of training. So, of course, this is a, uh, an opportunity to, to share some expertise to market myself. Where I think it's actually been really valuable is it's given me the opportunity and actually it's demanded of me the the deep dive into these topics, I, I always, I, I, this is kind of a joke, but it's, it's in some ways not. I say, oh, you write a book to figure out what the book is about. And, you know, I wrote uh, one of my more recent ones, Hyperconnected Selling. It really was, you know, and it was kind of prescient now that I, uh, we look back a couple of years later, but it was really about how is technology getting involved in the, the sales process, come with an idea called the sales Sherpa. And uh, what, what that book really did is it helped me understand for myself kind of what was going on with the changes in the sales process so that I could then go out and share that with other people. So that's been, that's been a huge thing for me. And the podcast, I mean, hey, we're doing one right now, right? I love it. It, it actually, for me, has always been about uh, building relationships with people. Uh, so I use it both as a tool to... Uh, uh, have an excuse to meet and, and have a conversation with a, a new person in my, my network, but also I've had a chance to go to people that I, I know well, and, but I, I, you know, they're busy. I don't have a lot of opportunity to talk to them. So saying, Hey, you want to be on the podcast? I mean, it's called beer beats in business. So we talk business, but we talk music, we talk craft beer. We, it's a little more on the human side and it's been such an amazing, you know, social capital building tool, if that makes sense. I love that people listen to it and hopefully that has established some credibility, but it's just as much as uh, about the relationship about with me and my guests. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about that sales Sherpa path that you just yeah. mentioned. It's actually a really simple concept and it, and it goes back to what you were just talking about before this, this idea of credibility, because one of the th things that I, I have seen shift, you know, I started my sales career in 1997. So I'm old. Uh, older. Uh, and that, that was like, it's weird to think that's kind of like pre-internet and we barely had email addresses. And in, in that sales model, that was definitely at the end of the, the 20th century into the 21st, salespeople, like, or whenever we were trying to sell anything, whether that was a product or service, you know, ourselves for a job, we controlled the information, right? And because as a salesperson, you control the information, the job was just to go and call as many people as possible, knock on as many doors, figuratively or literally, and just kind of, you know, pound the pavement and say, hey, do you need my product? Do you need my service? Can you buy from me right now? It was very, uh, you know, was, you have to be a gate crasher, right? You have to get past that gatekeeper and, and sell. 
kind of that old school boiler room, Glengarry, Glen Ross model. And what we've really seen because of the internet, because of the easy access information, because of the ability to research and, and find out information, to be a salesperson is not about doing that outreach and being aggressive. It really is about uh, cultivating some credibility as an expert and positioning yourself before often a customer even needs your service, right? Or your product. And just, but really using all the tools we have available, relationship building, the digital world, offline networking, you know, off, I said that taking that long-term approach and really position yourself as the resource, as the, the person they're going to go to. I call it the Barney effect. If, if any of your listeners have ever watched uh, uh, How I Met Your Mother, there was the character Barney who uh, had a guy for everything. He's like, oh, I got a suit guy and a, uh, a uh, ticket guy. And oh, you need a limo? I got a guy. You want to be that quote unquote guy, that, that gal in your space for the people that know you. And so it's really about being proactive and building that relationship, being that guide, being that resource. So when they're like, oh, wow, we need X, it makes total sense for them to just reach out to you as opposed to going anywhere else. Can you share with us a story of, of someone that's implemented the sales Sherpa path well? Here's a good example. So we recently bought a new home. My mortgage broker, my real estate agent, and uh, we're both people I've known over 15 years um, through networking. Like they were my friends. They, like I met them through networking and build a relationship with over time. I would absolutely consider them my friends now. Um, you know, I, I and, and they're people who, you know, they're out and they're still networking, they're on social media. You know, I know them well. You know, when I was like, we're going to buy a home, I wasn't like, oh, I should go talk to a couple agents, real estate agents. I was like, hey, Andrew. Uh, we're buying a house. When can we talk? You know, my mortgage, I wasn't like, oh, I don't, I should look around for rates and stuff. I literally called John, John, we're going to get a new home. Just give me the best you can. Like it was right. Because yep. they, 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 they were, already had a relationship. I had a relationship and I had trust. Like I, it wasn't just like, they're my friends. I know I'm like, I know they were good at what they were doing. Yeah. And you trusted that they would treat you well. They wouldn't give you the highest interest rate that's going to give them the most commission. They're going to give you the best interest rate because they care about you. They're Absolutely. You and, and by the way, at the same time, I wasn't also going to say like, hey, I want you to give me the lowest. You know, I'm not trying to like lowball them. I'm like, I want, you know, with my mortgage, I was like, hey, you know, you, you got to make some money too. I'm totally okay with that. But yeah. to your point, I knew he wasn't going to, you know, just take... You know, screw me over to, for lack of a way of saying it. And at the same time, I didn't have to worry about it. Right. So if I think about, and, and this is just, you know, buying a home, but it, whether it's B2B or B2C, we got so many things on our minds, the ability for me to look at John and say, I don't have to worry about this at all. Like, I don't, I didn't even, I don't want to know all the facts and figures because you are an expert. Like you've been doing this for 20 years, you know, your stuff, just do what's, you know, my situation put me in the best product. Why is networking so important for businesses and, and what are the benefits? You know, here's where I think it really boils down to everything we've just been talking about, right? It's for businesses, as we move forward, a lot of things become commodified. A lot of things, uh, whether it's a product or service are, you know, going to that lowest price point. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of 
noise and information out there. It's, it's just, it's, it can be overwhelming. Networking is really based on something that has nothing to do with business. It's with that human connection. Humans are social creatures. We love and I think need what we found out with social distancing is for many of us, even if we thought we were kind of, you know, introverts or maybe a little more on the quiet side, when all of a sudden you couldn't go out at all, you're like, oh, I miss people. <laughs> and, and so I think it feeds a very human need. And there is absolutely an investment, right? It takes time. It can take some money. It can take just, you know, attention, but I think it truly is an investment. It comes back to you in spades. That's, that's why I think it's so important. So if I asked you, what is, what's the most important way to network today? Would you say LinkedIn? I guess you have to network face-to-face and that's really important too. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, it's an interesting question. And kind of my hesitance is I don't necessarily think there's one channel or even that there's one way to network. Right. Right. I, I, for, for some of your, the listeners here, like being on LinkedIn is fantastic. And, and I have friends who are on LinkedIn two hours, three hours a day. They, they're super involved. I, I mean, I write books on this stuff and teach people I'm on it maybe a half an hour a day at most, right? Um, but it fits into one-on-one Zoom calls, which I think are important. It fits into going and having that cup of coffee with somebody local, uh, going to a larger event. I actually do think it's about kind of having multiple channels that you're engaging with people. So the big thing is just to do something, right? You know, whatever, whatever works for you, whatever feels comfortable, do it. Um, that's the most important thing. So your book networking in the 21st century is primarily focused on LinkedIn. Um, oh, well, no. Oh, so I'm glad you brought that up. So there's networking in the 21st century and networking in the 21st century on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. So two separate yes. books. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay. So tell us about the difference of those two books really quick. Let's talk about just networking the 21st century, not LinkedIn, not on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. So that really is just about understanding, uh, kind of everything we've been talking about today, as far as taking a long-term approach, building relationships. I do think a lot of people have the wrong idea of what networking is. They think it's transactional. We, we all have this bad image of, a, an event where everybody's like passing out business cards and there's bad hors d'oeuvres and, and that's it. What I really think it's about is, hey, go to some of those events. There's nothing wrong with it. But that's like a, it's like a party or a singles bar where you meet somebody and you got to go on a date with them, right? And you got to follow up. And I do think that there's some follow-up required in, um, in good networking. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a relationship. And so the, that book really dives into kind of not only the strategies, but then even the tactics. How do you have a good one-on-one conversation with somebody? How do you have a good Zoom call? How do you follow up? How do you do an introduction? All of those kind of practical things that I feel that a lot of people, we don't have an opportunity to learn. We don't have a class we take in high school. Here's how you network and build relationships. So one of your chapters in that book talks about weak is the new strong. Do you want to explain what you meant by that? Yeah. So one of the other big misconceptions that people have about networking is that your best opportunities are going to come through people that you know really well. We think our best friends, our family members are going to give us the best opportunities. The research shows time and time again that the best opportunities come from people that you don't know well. Uh, um, Mark Granovetter was a sociologist who wrote uh, The Strength of Weak Ties, which is where the, the title for that chapter comes from. And what he found was that when people find jobs, they often find jobs through people that they know 
but it's usually through people that they see less than once a week up to even just once a year. What's important in your network is access to new information, right? Your best friend, I mean, think about the people that you spend time with all the time. They know the same stuff you do. They're in the same kind of spheres of influence and information. That person that you see at a, a networking group every couple of weeks, or every couple of months, or that, that friend you just run into at a few parties a year, they're the ones who are like, hey, I heard about this job opportunity at my work, or you know, I know we're working on this project in my firm. And that access is really where the opportunity comes from. And so that's why I think too many of us think we have to be BFFs with everybody in our network where really there is some value, not, not to knowing everybody just to know everybody, but to really kind of spreading out your engagement and, and having those weak connections. That, that's the, when you make that shift, um, a lot more opportunities open up to you. If you had to, to share three secrets of networking off of LinkedIn, what would be your three best secrets or strategies? So the one I already talked about is, is the one-on-one -on -one meeting, like get, yeah. ask, and just ask people say, Hey, I'd like to find out more about what you do. Uh, can you, you want to grab a 30 minute zoom call? Not everybody, but many people will be a lot more open to that than you might think. The one problem with that though, I get those people request those for me all the time and they all want to sell something. They, they mask that as a sales pitch. So from the person on the receiving side, how do we work through that? Cause like, I'm willing to network with people, but I don't want to take my time to just get a million sales pitches. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you gotta make sure that you are truly networking without, you know, kind of a, a ulterior motive. It really does have to be, Hey, if something comes up, great, but I'm not trying to pitch you something. Um, what I would suggest if you're doing the outreach for it, be specific. Like, I'd like to find out what you're working on in this company, in the, you know, your, your organization, or hey, you can even say like, by the way, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Uh, part of this also comes through like how you first meet them. This actually is why I like, especially if you're, you're kind of in the beginning of the journey, going to some like events or a virtual, even a virtual, you know, Zoom, you know, kind of networking thing where there's multiple people. Cause it gives you a place to, to make that first connection. So, you know, you're not being yes. uh, sketchy. The other way to do it is to, to actually meet these people through introductions. So a lot of times, and this, I did this a lot when I was first starting out, I would say, have a meeting with you, let's say, and I say, Hey, you know, I'm just kind of building up my network. Who's one person, you know, that I don't, that you think I should, and would you feel comfortable introducing me? Right. And if I've comported myself well during that conversation. I'm not trying to pitch you on anything. You'd probably be like, oh, you should, you should talk to Jack. He works on the, you know, in XYZ. I think that's how, does that make sense? I think that's yeah, how you kind of does. avoid those. Um, so I think that's a big thing. Actually sitting down, I, I don't like elevator pitches because I think they stress people out, but sitting down and trying to figure out like, how would I explain what I do? Like, and can I, can I get good at kind of encapsulating, you know, my message? I think that can be really important because uh, I've met way too many people who can't explain what they do and I don't know how to help them. Or they can't do it in a concise, compelling way. You got to yeah. be able to say it real fast without rambling. And you got to say it in a, in a way that sounds interesting. That's that captivates the listener. Yeah. Yeah. Even, and cause this helps even in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If, if you can't say, Hey, I work with these kinds of people doing this kind of work for this kind of benefit, then I go, okay, if, if, what, how do I help? But if you're like, hey, I work with, you know, small business owners who are looking to improve their, uh, 
their accounting and their bookkeeping with a really easy platform. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know what you do. And I, I, I have ideas of who I could introduce you to or how I could help. So that's the second thing is just be really clear. And, and the third thing I would say is follow up, have some sort of process, whatever it is for you that you use to follow up with people, you know, send them an email every couple of weeks or couple weeks, couple of months. Again, it's not a one, one and done. So even if you meet somebody and you're like, Hey, this was a great conversation. I don't think there's anything immediate. Like I actually use my, my outlook remi- task reminders. I'm totally old school and I'll put something in and it's, and it's literally like in six months, remind me to call Nathan and, and see what's going on. Yeah. That, that, those three things alone will, will skyrocket you above most people who do, do networking. Yeah. That last one is one where I've done a very poor job at, and I definitely have a lot of room for improvement. What are your best secrets and strategies for networking on LinkedIn? So almost take everything that we were talking about just with networking in general and go, how do we use LinkedIn as a tool to do that more effectively, right? To do follow-up more effectively, to do introductions more effectively, to describe what I'm doing more effectively. So for example, just the really easy things on LinkedIn, look at your profile and go, hey, is my profile clear to somebody who doesn't know anything about what I do? Right. Too, too often we fill our profiles full of stuff we want to say or things that are obvious to us because we live in our brains versus going, hey, what does somebody who might be a potential contact, uh, a connection, might be a potential client or customer, what do they need to hear from me? Uh, LinkedIn has a, a, um, a campaign they're, they're talking about right now called Buyer First, where they're like, make your presence buyer first, take care of them first, take, think about what they're looking to find out from you. I, that, just that approach and ask yourself, what, again, what is somebody who doesn't know what I do? What, how can I explain it to them? Going back to that offline elevator pitch, it's just bring it online. And again, clear, concise, yeah. compelling, so important. And, and then engage. You know, I, I think a lot of us get wrapped up in how do I post what do I share? I'm nervous about that, which is, a, it's good. Well, less than 1% of users post on LinkedIn. So if you want to stand out, just start posting regularly, you'll get seen, but that can be very uh, nerve wracking for people. It's a little scary. The biggest thing I would say is start engaging with other people's content, right? Your networking partners, your clients, your friends, they're posting something, throw that comment up there, like something. It's, it's a way, it's a very easy way to kind of cultivate that social capital, do that follow-up in a way that's, that's easy, doesn't take a lot of time and energy. And again, you're kind of, it's just, you're making deposits and sometimes those will have a benefit in, in a month. And sometimes it's, it's years down the line, but uh, just like going back to, we were talking about my experience with my, my mortgage broker, my real estate agent, they didn't have to sell me. They just got my business right? Because they'd invested, you know, in the same way, the more you can kind of invest and provide value for people, the better. Why should we focus on relationships instead of transactions? Relationships are scalable in in a way that I don't think transactions are. And that's counterintuitive because the first impulse that we have is, oh, I just have to have more transactions, right? Um, How can I scale how many transactions I have? But there's a limit, there's a cap to that. And also there's usually like an upper limit to how scalable those transactions really are. There's only so many prospective clients that you can sell something to. Whereas relationships, I, I feel are truly collaborative 
and creational, meaning they create opportunities that weren't there before, right? And so th there's more, you know, if you, you just have a seed, you can just eat the seed, you know, or a bean, right? You can eat a bean or you can plant it and have a, you know, a plant that will eventually have a lot of beans on it. It's like, which would you rather have? Thank you so much, David, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, instead of focusing on the quick sell, we want to focus on the long-term approach of building relationships and credibility. While it may take time, having that trust with our customers can really help us find more success in the long run. Number two, to begin networking, we can have one-on-ones, be clear and concise in our communication, and remember to follow up. Number three, we can leverage digital platforms to help us network and form and maintain relationships. To learn more about or connect with David, you can subscribe to his YouTube channel. Visit his website at davidjpfisher.com or check out his nine books and his podcast. And there's links to all of those different things in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get my free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your networking. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.